Lord, we thank you for the day that will come where you will set all things to right. And yet, Lord, we pray that when that day comes, you would shower us with your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. It must have been a remarkable school. First off, let me just say this. Look at your watches. Um, this is the first time I think I've ever been able to actually preach for as long as I've wanted at the Advent. Uh, and so don't think he's getting carried away. It was a little bit pre-planned. Uh, but you're supposed to laugh. Um, it must have been a remarkable scene there in the middle of the Judean wilderness seeing John the Baptist baptize all of these people who were coming from all over. Uh, Mark uses a little bit of hyperbole when he says that everyone from Jerusalem and Judea were coming out to be baptized by John. And what he's saying, it was packed. It was packed. And you can still go today to see where John the Baptist was baptizing. And it is pretty close to Jericho, which we know is the entry point to the children of Israel after their long sojourn in the wilderness, where they crossed over the River Jordan into Jericho. And if you've ever been there, it would take 40 years of wandering in the desert to look at that area of Israel and say, this looks good. This is nice. Uh, It is... Desolate. There's no vegetation. It's right where the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea. There's nothing going on out there, and yet that's where John the Baptist is, baptizing people. It couldn't be a more inconvenient location. And yet, here they come by droves. It's the big attraction in the nation at this time. And John is here preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins. And they were baptized by John in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. That's a remarkable thing that folks who fall under conviction of their own sin in their own life, that they're brought to a place where they see themselves as they are, that's a work of the Holy Spirit in and of itself. But to fall under that conviction and to leave your home. To leave Jerusalem and to make a pilgrimage to the wilderness and then to wait in line for all to see that you are acknowledging yourself as one who is in need of forgiveness of sins. Humbling, if not humiliating, to make such a public declaration by your words and actions to submit to this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as you're waiting in the line, I wonder what the conversations were like. What what are you here for? Uh, As you make your way to John in order to be baptized, that water being represented of whatever it is that you're dealing with in life has been washed away and you're able to start anew. But even represented in that muddy water there in the Jordan, full of mercy, to be cleansed, to be given another chance in life, that was only part of John the Baptist's ministry. Mark and Luke tell us that he was preaching, God's winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, I'm a water guy myself. 
Right? That's the direction I'm leaning in, what I'm hoping for. And yet, John had this interesting ministry where he would shift gears from come and be baptized, no matter who you are or where you've been in life, to God is coming, he's coming in judgment, and he will execute judgment. And all of us stand before him in the same boat, and all under the same standard of justice, which is perfection, which we all fall short of. A hard word. And yet, the natural condition of our human hearts is to cry out for justice, to stand against unfairness. When Lauren and I were engaged, I took her back to my hometown for dinner one night in Virginia, and we were driving down Main Street, and there's one police officer in my town uh, who I always thought was very funny because uh, he kept getting promoted. So when I was a boy, he was the town sergeant, and by the time I went away to college, he was the town captain. Thought good for him. And so we were driving down Main Street, and there was a street that created a T-junction there, uh, on the main drag, and as we were approaching it, this car full of teenagers, uh, actually it wasn't a car, it was this truck up on lifts, you know, it had the lifts, and it had big tires, and the music was blaring, it had the antenna bent over, and it just went straight through the stop sign, so that I had to slam on the brakes, and I was swerve off the road, and just as all the fear and anger in my heart at this idiotic move from someone who would drive a truck like that... I saw the blue lights in my rearview mirror, and I thought, justice! Right. How many of you, I wish I were deputized. Can you imagine how great that would be to see and, and just pull people over and write tickets mercilessly? Uh, it would be so satisfying uh, to be able to do that. And yet, more often in our lives, we're felt lacking, like justice is not being served, that things are unfair. And in those moments, which are few and far between, like when this guy gets pulled over for being a knucklehead, uh, oh, it feels good. It really feels good. Our hearts cry out for justice. We want things to be set to rights. And in our nation today, there's been a lot of talk about justice whether it's in Ferguson, Missouri, or Staten Island, or Cleveland, Ohio. And I hesitate to even mention those things for a number of reasons. But I do bring them up because out of these events, we have seen people taking to the streets and to social media with demands for justice. A friend of mine who is a black pastor wrote a liturgy recently in which the response of the people is this. So he says something, and then the whole congregation says, we want justice, oceans of it. We want fairness, rivers of it. That's what we want. That's all we want. I can understand their demand for justice and fairness, and I also understand that I need to better understand why they are demanding justice and fairness. And one day, Amos' prayer will be answered that justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. But in the meantime, what do we do when we feel like life is unfair, that things are unjust? We just want things to be right. One of my daughters recently, after Christmas, 
That break between Christmas and New Year's for school is the worst. <laughs> Every child contracts spoily oilyitis, and in the midst of it, she threw her foot down in anger and said, This is not fair. And I felt like that scene from The Princess Bride. I do not think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> and so I told her, Fine, henceforth, today shall be a day of fairness. And things went okay. When she was good, I gave her a little treat or a little toy or something like that. She was perfectly happy. And then I was changing the baby's diaper and I gave it to the child and said, Would you please take this and put it in the garbage can? And she said, Yes, sir. And on the way, she decided to throw the diaper at one of her sisters. <laughs> so I walked over and I picked it up and I pegged her in the head. She was bewildered, but I said, fairness. <laughs> Later on that afternoon, she was tugging on one of her sister's arms, so I went over and I yanked her arm, and she looked at me, and I said, fairness. <laughs> well, she looked at me, and she said, I don't like fairness. <laughs> you know, she's, she's on to something, because when we cry out for justice... God is no respecter of persons. He's not going to say, well, I'll give justice to this group, but I won't give justice to that group. His justice is evenly distributed, and we all stand under His judgment. And so, what we find in this baptism narrative is that the cry of the repentant heart the heart that falls under the conviction of sin. The heart that says, God, I need to be different. I need to have my heart changed, my mind changed, and I need to be oriented toward you and not myself. That heart still desires and wants mercy, wants justice, but it pleads for mercy. Because ultimately we know in the repentant heart that it's mercy that we need, not justice. Recently, I've been following the story of Heather Cook, uh, who is the Bishop Suffragan in the Episcopal Diocese of Maryland. I know I'm bringing up everything uh, today. And um, it's such a terrible, tragic story, but suffice it to say, uh, she is the Suffragan Bishop of Maryland and was recently arrested uh, for hitting a guy on his bicycle, a husband and father of two, killing him and fleeing the scene. And uh, she was texting while driving, and it turned out that her blood alcohol limit was three times over the legal limit, and this was 2.30 in the afternoon. And as I read this article in the Baltimore Sun, I went down to look at the comments, which is always a very bad idea, but I was struck by one in particular where a gentleman said, Do you know what justice would be? Justice would be pulling this woman out of that prison cell, putting her in the middle of the street, and allowing this man's wife and children to run her over. That would be justice. I felt conflicted because who among us here didn't feel that same way with Paula Smalley? When she was hit by a driver and took off, how many of us, our heart immediately went to, 
We've got to find this person. We need to bring them to justice. And yet the hard words of that commenter made me think, what if that standard of justice was applied to all of us? What if they found out about that thing that I did to somebody else, which no one really knows about, and they were allowed to do the same thing to me? I don't think that I would cry out for justice. I think that I would cry out for mercy. And yet what we see in Jesus' baptism is Psalm 8510 in the flesh. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. In Jesus Christ, the the righteousness and justice of God has been met with the mercy and love and compassion of God. And he enters into the muddy waters of our human existence for us. Now, John's baptism was a baptism for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. And so, what is it that Jesus needed to be forgiven of? Why would he need to be baptized? He didn't need to be baptized. Indeed, in another gospel narrative, when Jesus comes in, what does John the Baptist say? You should be baptizing me. Not me baptizing you, but Jesus said, in order that all righteousness might be fulfilled, it is good that this should happen. That I be baptized so that the world, all these bystanders, could see the pure spotless Lamb of God getting into the muddy water and identifying with us. Justice would have been the winnowing fork to stand back and look at the crowds on the banks of the Jordan and say, you are completely other. You are as far away as the east is from the west is from me. And he would be right in his judgment and justified in it. And yet he chooses, just on the heels as we celebrate Christmas, to get in the water and get muddy. Ellie Wiesel wrote a very powerful book about his experience as a young man at Auschwitz and Buchenwald, those terrible concentration camps. And while there, Wiesel had largely lost his faith in God, except in one instance. God became real to him again. And he writes about it in such a powerful and vivid way. And the book is full of these stories. But the one that I've never been able to shake is the story about a little boy who was to be hanged for not revealing the names of those involved in an attempt at sabotage in the concentration camp. Wazell writes this. Where is God? Where is he? Someone behind Wazell asked as the little boy and the two conspirators were led to the gallows. For more than half an hour, the child in the noose stayed there, struggling between life and death, dying in slow agony under our eyes. And we had to look him full in the face. He was still alive when I passed in front of him. His tongue was still red. His eyes were not yet glazed. Behind me I heard the same man asking, Where is God now? And I heard a voice within me answer him, Where is he? 
Here he is. He is hanging here on the gallows. When you look at the injustice that we experience in our world and in our lives, where is God? He's right there. But to those of us who are putting our trust in him, praise God that he comes to dispense mercy and not judgment and not justice. And in his mercy, it's not that we're getting away with something. He's not looking the other way. But justice is carried out. It's carried out upon his son. What it was that we deserved, the wages of sin is death. Real justice was poured out upon God himself. He took it upon himself in order that we might know mercy over justice. He gets what we deserve so that we might receive mercy and forgiveness. The gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul reminds us, do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It may have been conviction of sin, It was the conviction of sin, that move of the Holy Spirit in our lives where the mirror is held up to our face, the the mirror of justice that shows us the way that we are, that compel those people to leave their homes and make their way out into the wilderness to be baptized by John. But that's, that's not what changed their hearts. That's not what made them new creations. In the midst of the injustice and hardness of life, it is God's kindness and His mercy that meets us even on the gallows. And so this morning, do not lose heart, but trust in Him. And though we cry out for mercy, we cry out for justice, may God give us His mercy. Amen.